KYW Original Podcasts. This is KYW In-Depth. My name is Matt Leon. We continue to keep an eye on how the world of college athletics is dealing with life in the midst of the pandemic. Of course, schools have started classes across the country, mixed results as far as dealing with the virus. What has that meant for athletic departments? What challenges are they facing? What could the winter look like as we keep an eye ahead? We talk about all this and much, much more as we check in with Dr. Karen Weaver. She is a member of the graduate faculty at the University of Pennsylvania. Always a good conversation with Dr. Weaver. Give a listen. So it's probably unfair to kind of go with a blanket statement like this, but overall, college athletics, are they about where you thought they would be from six months ago when this all started? you think it's been worse? you think places have handled a little bit better? Overall, what would you say? I knew that there would be fits and starts around the country because that's the way the virus has trended. You know, it's been hot in one place. Now, all of a sudden, today, you look at the Dakotas and Minnesota and the upper Midwest as being a real hot spot. And that might move to somewhere else. Just a few weeks ago, it was Texas and Arizona and Florida. So as as decisions have been made, they've tried to follow the science that was relevant to their position at that time. And what happens is people's behavior changes. We just had Labor Day. So what is that going to do to um, all of the calculations that we've been doing with gathering in large places, having crowds at games, you know, breakouts with, with students returning to college campuses? All of those things are new things to factor in to a very complex situation. So I guess in some ways I expected it to be very haphazard, but in other ways I really kind of thought that we'd have a little more clarity on the on the um, on the national leadership front, if you will. Yeah, and I guess that do you think we'd be better off if we did have a one size fits all approach from the from the federal level uh, and everybody kind of played by those same rules? Or, as you mentioned, the hot spots of the virus, does that make it kind of impossible? Well, I don't know that it should have come from the federal government, but certainly the issue with the the Power Five conferences and the rest of the NCAA, that that uh, break off was really uh, exacerbated by this pandemic. And we found quickly that the NCAA could exert its authority in uh, lower levels of Division One and all of Division Two and all of Division Three. And in fact, you know, in some situations, told Division Three conferences, no, I don't care what your numbers say, you aren't playing. But when it came to the Power Five conferences, they knew that their hands were off because they weren't running the championship. And that's all the NCAA has to hold over is when is that postseason championship going to be run? So because they had very little influence, where, where were college sports leaders supposed to look except internally at their own conference and conferences because of conference realignment from 10 years ago with uh, with households and television are so spread out over large state footprints that that became a, a really um, counterproductive when you look at, at COVID-19. Overall, we knew, it, I think it became apparent very early on that this was going to be catastrophic on financial level for athletic departments once the NCAA tournament went away. And, you know, now we're seeing a lot of places not play college football. We have seen some 
schools cut programs. We have seen other schools trim schedules down to just a, a conference. Recently, we've heard a lot about furloughs in departments. University of Utah actually furloughed everybody, and that includes the athletic director and the football coach. That really turned my head. Do you think there are more big-ticket moves like that coming down the pike? There has to be, and, and, and that's what's so unfortunate. I can't imagine what it feels like to be working in a department like that, almost any athletics program in the country right now, where you know that that's going to be the bare minimum that you're going to be asked to do in order to help meet the financial targets of the year. Uh, and that's across all college campuses. You know, um, uh, Temple, as, as you mentioned earlier, has started off, and then they, now they've sent students home. What does that mean for all of the staff, the faculty, the people who take care of the buildings, all those kinds of things when your revenue streams are are upended? So a furlough seems like the, the, the lowest hanging of fruit. And then but then you look at layoffs, you look at unfilling um, vacant, not filling vacant positions. You look at um, cutting people and ultimately you, you end up looking at sports. And I think that's really the unfortunate part when you start to take away opportunities for student athletes because a sport doesn't generate revenue. I think that's um, not in alignment with who we are in higher education. Me personally, I figured there would kind of be a watershed week or a month where we just saw all these changes happen. But I guess a lot of these places – it's, you know, we get through this month and then all of a sudden this revenue didn't come in. And is it going to, it's just going to be kind of this more everybody on their own schedule. And as, you know, bills come due and they can't meet them or they need help meeting them, we'll, we'll kind of see the, these changes come through uh, here and there. Well, I think that's some of it. But I also think some of this is also, you know, the other parts of the industry that subsidize athletics, including, you know, uh, multimedia partners, television partners. All the companies that have contracts, long-term contracts with athletic departments are also feeling the pinch. And they are more than likely to want to renegotiate at some point if they can't figure out a way to make up this time. Good example of that is what's going on with Under Armour. Under Armour right now is looking at schools on the West Coast and saying, I'm sorry, but the, the apparel deal just isn't working for us right now because the numbers aren't there. We want to renegotiate. So that's the other unknown part of this deal is that Yes, we can look at the at the expenses in our department, but what is actually going to happen to the revenues that we've normally counted on? Will they just automatically come back when we go back to campus and go back to normal life, whatever normal life is? Or will those look different, too, because those industries have been so impacted by COVID as well? It's interesting. We've talked a lot about the financial and, and other aspects of this. But from a pure athletic standpoint, something stood out to me. Uh, Navy played BYU in football. Navy got hammered. Uh, And afterwards, the Navy coach said, to his credit, his main concern was keeping his players safe. And if I read it correctly, they hadn't hit or tackled since they got their bowl game nine months earlier. And it kind of makes you ask the question, what are we doing here? If you can't do the bare minimum to prepare for what your sport entails – and what's kind of the point? Yeah, I mean, that's a concern that I've had all the way back to when I first started writing about whether we could even do college sports without having a vaccine. If you just get down to the nitty gritty of how how athletes function, how teams function, so much of COVID-19 runs counter to that. And, um, 
you know, there's even been some debate or I would call it magical thinking around whether football is a high impact or a medium impact sport. It, it, we have to own what it is. It's, it's probably the most contact sport that we have in the college ecosystem outside of wrestling. But we have set up our ecosystem so that it depends upon the funding and the finances of football. So we can't just say to our athletes, pretend it's not there. We're just going to continue with business as normal because that's not fair to the health, safety, and well-being, not only of those athletes, but of the coaching staff and everybody else. We had the Big Ten, Pac-12 amongst the Power Five that, that pulled the plug on football. You've heard some rumblings. Uh, you know, I've read some stuff on Twitter that uh, maybe the Big Ten might shoot for the end of October and try to, to do it. How much different is our situation going to be in two months where you can really think that, you know, you couldn't do something on September 1st, but we're going to be able to do it on November 1st? So I think I think this is tr- uh, uh, problematic for um, the Big Ten Conference and the Pac-12, who are under tremendous pressure because games are about to begin in the ACC, the SEC, this weekend and, and over the next two weeks. They're under tremendous pressure from their fan bases to change their minds. But if you change your minds and originally you made your decision based on the data and the medical advice, then the only thing that should make you change your mind is that something changed in the data or something changed in the medical advice. And my fear is that they'll be reactive to this external pressure from fans and others to want to address the problem. But they're only going to be exacerbating their problem if they don't have a consistent, grounded reason for making this change. Do you see things changing dramatically between now and the end of October? I don't think I do because I don't know if the numbers change. We're going more indoors. Uh, We're still going to have the problem with about 22% of the population refusing to wear masks on a regular basis. And you still have all the other um, uh, inputs into a college campus where people do crazy things because that's what college students do. So I don't know how, how it's changes. The situation has changed for them to alter course. So aside from, you know, your ACC's playing football, stuff like that, most of your fall seasons were tabled, and now all eyes turn their attention to the winter seasons. And I've heard a lot of places and a lot of people kind of hopefully throw out January 1st, we'll hope to play January and February, and then have Mm -hmm. tournaments in March and stuff like that. Uh, What are you hearing people you talk to? Is there a lot of genuine hopefulness for January or is it kind of the same conversation we just had how much different is life going to be on January 1st than it was on September 1st and we're all going to be inside it's going to be colder there's going to be flume rolling around uh you know what are you hearing from people about the winter seasons well I think you know when you look at the winter the first thing you think about in college sports is basketball and I think people are excited about the success of the bubbles or the wobbles in, in WNBA and NBA basketball. And that's, that's phenomenal. I'm glad it's worked, but that wasn't without great expense and also without, not without great cost, both um, emotionally and mentally for the athletes and the coaches. You have athletes who've been in that bubble for over two months now, uh, not being able to see their family, not being able to see their kids, except not being able to say goodbye to loved ones, 
and, and all the people who work around the team, same thing, in order to create a safe environment for those players to play in. I can't imagine the mental health challenges that if we wanted to do a bubble, and I have yet to see anybody in the college level tell me how big and long that bubble would be, uh, address the issues of mental health. Because when something happens in your family, the first thing you're, you're inclined to want to do is say, hey, coach, I got to go. And the problem is, is if you go, you may not be able to be let back in. And so all the dynamics around um, the usual comings and goings are really going to be a question. But folks are really locked in on, on the bubble concept because they've seen it be successful in the WNBA and the NBA. And you mentioned that expense. And I would think for your majority, maybe of Division One teams, it's a possibility uh, we're talking now we're looking just at basketball with regards to the winner for the purposes of this discussion, much smaller rosters than football. It's probably not out of the realm of possibility that you could afford to test maybe twice a week or, or something like that. But I would have to think, you know, the, the bottom third, maybe of division one, division two, division three, even, you know, just maybe one test a week for 15 kids, 20, you throw staff in. That's a significant expense, and these are not programs that are flush with an extra $100,000 to take care of this. So when we talk about this bubble, we're really only talking about the teams that people are focused on for the NCAA tournament, Division One. I would think everybody else, I don't think it's a possibility, right? I think right now you mentioned again about testing frequency, but remind that people, we're still not there with testing turnaround. We're still not getting them back in a timely fashion with their, I'm now being told that two to three days is, is normal, but there are still outliers. Could be seven days, could be 10 days, could be longer. I know new tests are starting to come out, but we've still got to get those to the marketplace. We've still got to prioritize who gets them in the larger ecosystem of the community that a basketball team plays in. So, um, and yes, those are expensive. They, that You could be looking at hundreds of thousands of dollars to do something that's more than once or twice a week. And yet that's the kind of frequency that you would need to ensure that that bubble retains its integrity. Otherwise, you've got the reverse, which is a super spreader event. As we wrap up here, so what are some things you want to see drive the conversation? What do you, you know, if, if things are going on the right direction in college athletics in the midst of all this, what are some of the stories you want to hear? What do you want to hear driving what we're talking about? I, I would really love to see people um, involve uh, the entire athletic experience and not just the competition uh, as far as trying to create, you know, game matchups and, and locations. I think that's a very superficial way to look at this. And the only way to do that is to actually sit down with your athletes and say, okay, if we kept you uh, in a bubble from December 15th until February 15th, what would that mean for you and your family? What would that mean for you academically? What would that mean if these situations happen? And actually sit down and game that out across your entire conference. Only then do I think we start to realize the sacrifices, but the opportunities we have. And I know a lot of athletes have said, we want to play because it's bad for our mental health not to play. It's part of our identity to be doing this. And I get that as a former coach and athlete myself. But I also know that sometimes we too quickly decide to get to that point of, yes, we've got to play. And then only after we started playing, do we realize, oh, we didn't think about this or we didn't think about this or we hope this goes okay. And this is just too serious 
to doing be doing things halfway. So that is definitely part of the conversation that I would like to see. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.